Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Health Podcast, a new season from BBC Good Food. I'm Tracy Ray, qualified nutritionist and health editor here at BBC Good Food. In this series, I'll be your host as we explore the world of health and wellness through a series of interviews with renowned and innovative experts across the globe, where I'll be seeking out some of the best practical tips and advice they have to offer. Remember that all content provided here is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions or concerns related to your personal health, you should first seek the advice of your local healthcare practitioner. This week, I'm speaking to Steve and Dave Flynn of The Happy Pair about how to make health a lifestyle and why creating a strong support network is so important when making long-lasting change. What started as a tiny produce shop in Greystones, Ireland, The Happy Pair has evolved into a plant-based cooking and lifestyle movement that now consists of cafes, food products, online courses, cookbooks, and more. Their most recent book, Happy Pear, The Essentials of Vegan Cooking for Everyone, combines the duo's almost 20 years of experience into a practical, easy-to-read guide showing you just how many different meals you can make using simple ingredients and methods. Hi, lads. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, thanks for having Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Lovely to have you here. So I'm going to jump right in with the questions. Um, and for anyone listening who hasn't heard of the happy pair i'd first like to say that they need to give your vegan pesto a try because it's absolutely immense um and secondly i wondered if you could share a little bit about what the happy pair is um and how it all started 
Brilliant. So will I lead off and you pivot off? Fire away. So, uh, yeah, so we're identical twins and we were a pair and um, we started a vegetable shop when we were 24, uh, which we called the happy pair, which was based on, you know, we were a pair and we were selling fruit like it was a pair and that was the name of it. Was that so, a pun? So that was a pun, but it was really like, I guess the journey to get there was we we grew up as identical twins, four boys in a family, meat and two veg, loads of rugby, golf, every ball game under the sun. Food wasn't important. It was only fuel. And um, I guess being identical twins, we were hyper competitive. So we ended up excelling at all sorts of things because we were, you know, always competing for others' love and attention. So by the time we were finished school, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were nearly off scratching golf. We were doing modeling. We were, we were doing all sorts of stuff. And then we ended up studying business and business being hyper-competitive, the underlying theme in business was if you make loads of money, then you're going to be really happy, you'll be successful. So we got super into that for a bit. And by the time we finished studying business, we kind of realized there must be more to life. And both of us went away traveling separately. Um, And on that journey, we kind of, it was the first time we actually considered food and how it affected us. And the greater impact of our food choices, us us growing up, food was just fuel. And it was the first time, I guess, being removed from our upbringing and in a different country. I was in Canada at the time and Dave was in South Africa. Um, And it was the first time where we were really, you know, on our own. There was no social media at the time. It was actually, it gave space to actually consider, you know, what do I want to eat? And what does food mean to me? And And this this was back in 2002. And I guess we ended up spending a couple of years separately traveling around and realized we were very drawn to farming and communities and, we both shifted from a normal meat and two veg and loads of points diet, like a typical jock diet to a plant-based diet. Both of us ended up, we were 21, 22 then, and we ended up both adopting a vegan diet separately in different parts of the world. We both kind of gave up alcohol at the same time and got into meditation, all sorts of wild and wonderful kind of things. And then one day Steve calls me up. We were 24. This is back in 2003. And he says, Dave, 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 do you want to like start a health food revolution? I was like, oh, Real Steve, I love it. I love to, and um, and and then he says, uh, "Do you want to start a veg shop?" It was like a veg shop. Like I thought it was going to be way more fun, way more like you know a revolution with a vegetable shop. It was like he said, "Dave, trust me, I've got an idea." So we we had left as these kind of you know jocks that were very respected in our small little town because we were good at sport and they were nice lads and whatnot. And then we came back kind of two and a half years later um, and we were opening this vegetable shop and we had long hair and plaid pants and we were now vegan and we did yoga and we drove a van and smelled a cabbage. And people obviously <laughs> thought we were weirdos, but, and the shop, you know, very quickly we started with a vegetable shop in 2004, age 24. And we, we had shifted to a plant-based diet and we wanted to try to inspire as many other people as we could. And very quickly the next year we took over the cafe next door and we, you know, we started a juice bar and it quickly became all about trying to inspire people. And we used to go to schools and try to inspire kids. And it's gone from that to where... To where there's just pre-COVID, we had four cafes, one in Dublin Airport. Uh, we have 50 products in about a thousand stores around Ireland. We have online courses with about 50,000 people through them. 
Uh, and we've and a farm for- and all sorts. It's, it's spawned in all sorts of different ways, but the root of it has always been about trying to inspire people to eat more fruit and veg. And that's really been the core theme. But so what is the happy pair? Poof, I don't know. It depends on what the person is. What we used to have when we started first was about health, happiness and community. And that's really kind of largely what the heart is of it. It's about, you know, trying to bring people together to have a healthier, happier, more enjoyable life. And that's that's the goal. Amazing. You know, I'm really interested by what you said. So you say that you kind of started out in that real kind of like jock space where it was meat and two veg. I'm assuming maybe a little bit of a narrative around, you know, kind of protein, protein, fuel, you know, get into sports, build muscle, all of that kind of thing. I'm making an assumption here that maybe uh, weight or kind of calories wasn't really something that you considered back then, which then kind of makes me wonder what was the drive towards um, plant-based eating? Because I know from speaking to, you know, hundreds and thousands of different people about health and changing their health um, at this at this stage, usually there's some sort of, you know, not feeling great or wanting to gain energy or, or lose weight that kind of makes them consider their, their food. Was there some moment that made you think, oh, maybe, you know, I need to try eating more plants for this reason or that reason? Or, you know, was it an, an environmental thing? Or what was that piece that made you start considering plants? Yeah, very cool. Um, like for us, food, as Dave mentioned, was just fuel. We never considered it. We went to all boys school, played a lot of rugby, spent a lot of time in macho environments. So meat was just part of it. You ate meat like a caveman. You drank pints and you banged your chest. And, you know, we were we were quite naive or quite ignorant in that regard. And it was simply when when I finished, when we both finished university, I remember it was a friend, Tommy Kelly was turning 40 and we were 21 at the time. And Tommy said, lads, for my birthday, do you want to run a marathon? We thought, great, that sounds like a great idea, Tommy. And we kind of never really considered training. Uh, and at that time, we just finished university and mom was, you know, really proud of us. So she bought us as a present, uh, a ticket to go ra- go traveling around Europe for a month. So for the month, we traveled around Europe and we kind of got drunk and just, you know, pursued parties and forgot we had this marathon. And when we returned, we had a month left until this marathon started and we had done no training. Uh, And at the time, I remember we got back, it was like, Dave, I remember Keith Barry in the back of the biology class in sixth year talking about this word detox. And I remember like, this is back in 2000 when the word detox wasn't really zeitgeist. The internet, you know, most people didn't even have a dial-up modem in their house and their computer. Not to mind a mobile phone. Not to mind a mobile phone. So we went down to the next best thing, went down to the library, wondering, do you have a book on detox? They said, no, but they have one in Dublin and it'll be here next week. And we said, great. So we got the book all excited. I wonder what a detox is. And we started reading. It was like, right, Dave, we're going to eat nothing but porridge. We're going to eat brown bread instead of white bread. We're going to start like going to the health food shop and maybe try those things called lentils and try eating more vegetables and no booze for a month. No booze. And we said, yeah, okay, let's do it. So we did it for a month and the marathon came and we both won it. That was a joke. Uh, no, we didn't win it. We did it and it went great. And whatever reason, it kind of, we had only planned on eating this way for a month, but we continued on doing it because it just, I don't know, it seemed to, we felt more, at least I can speak for my own. Can I speak the we? Sure. Yeah, we felt more ourselves, felt more congruent, felt more like this is actually a little bit more conscious, a little bit more considered, a little bit more deliberate. And and from there, when we went away traveling separately, 
you know, we were kind of on this journey of actually considering our food choices, where they come from. And at the time, any book I could find about health, about vegetables, about fiber, about energy, we were just fascinated. And we found out we had more energy and we felt more ourselves. And ultimately, I think there was a spiritual curiosity, a connection between what you eat and how it makes you feel and your own relationship with yourself. And I guess we realized that food definitely has a part to play in that picture. And then when we started down that road, you realized that food is at the crossroads of so many different aspects of life, you know, health, environmentalism, you know, sustainability, uh, sustainability, you know, your food choices dictate what type of world you want to, like the so it it intersect, we realized it was such an, at such a nexus. And I guess that really left us feeling empowered. And, you know, over a period of time, we realized that, you know, we were very much into plant-based and getting people to eat more fruit and veg as much as they could, you know. Amazing. That's so interesting because I think that, you know, for a lot of people still today, we are moving more towards the association between what we eat and how we feel and, you know, what that enables us to do in our lives. Because if we don't have energy, then we can't reach our other life goals and things like that. But I think for a lot of people, um, there's still a little bit of that disconnect between, well, you know, unless I want to lose weight or gain muscle or change my physique in some way, what's the point in in changing how I eat? It, it doesn't make any sense. But that connection between not only how you feel kind of physically, mentally, energetically, but as, as you say, even kind of establishing that support with your, um, you know, spiritual curiosities or sustainability cur- curiosities and all of those things coming together. That's, that's really, really interesting. So, I guess on the topic of kind of the plant-based or or vegan diet, um, just for anyone who's listening, I know that those terms can be used um, interchangeably quite a bit, and it is something that we've discussed before. But anyone kind of wondering, um, and I, I'm sure you're um, you've spoken about this as well, but a vegan diet would be considered kind of exclusion of all animal-based products, whereas a plant-based diet would be, you know, um, a plant-focused diet, so a diet that's focusing on as many plant-based foods as possible, but for some people that might be 100% plant-based or 70% plant-based or or whatever, so just in case we use those terms interchangeably. But for yourselves, when you did start changing your diet, um, what were some of the kind of uh, sticking points when moving from, you know, lots and lots of meat and and dairy. I mean, I know in Ireland, we, the schools, we get milk delivered, you get like everything on your doorstep. What were some of the sticking points when you were trying to kind of change that meat and two veg plate into something new that had lots of different plant foods and, you know, often foods that were maybe less familiar in Ireland at that time, like lentils or um, different grains or things like that. Yeah, I think that I think the easiest, like when we were traveling, it was very easy because we were in different environments and we, we were on a different kind of eating regime. So you could just adapt to where you were. But it wasn't until we went home that then you realized that your mother likes giving love through food. And if you won't accept her roast beef, you are denying her of giving you love. And then you realize that all your friends don't really, you know, they don't really feel that they want to, you know, you don't have as much in common because you're not eating burgers and drinking beer and it might make them question what they're eating as well. So it kind of almost, this. It, mostly it's social issues because we are all products of our environment and the current environment that we lived in back in 2000 and, 
2003 or 2002, it definitely wasn't set up for someone to eat, you know, a diet based around whole foods. Yeah, and I think we all like, if you're familiar with the blue zones, which are the five areas in the planet where there's the most amount of centenarians. And, you know, the reason why they lived such long, healthy lives wasn't because they had super genetics. It was largely because their environment encouraged them to do have more healthy lifestyle factors. So I think for anyone listening who wants to try to eat healthier, be a little bit more considered, the more you can try to create an environment that supports that, the easier it is. Because the modern day obesogenic environment, you know, it encourages typically about 50% of all foods consumed in the UK and Ireland are ultra processed. So and, not e- e- and, and even so, and even just to bring it back to ourselves, our, like what we did the most selfish thing that we did. Like we came back from traveling and we set up a food business to support the lifestyle we wanted to live. So we straight away kind of, I don't know how, just by chance, we set up this business to support our lifestyle and anyone else that wanted to get on board of this. And I guess we were ahead of the curve in a sense and it grow root, grew roots and tap roots and branches and trees and legs and arms and, you know, it's been it's been great for us. You know? And even just to tell a little story about just in terms of, putting it to the test. I remember back about 10 years ago, we were doing kind of healthy eating courses upstairs in our restaurant or cafe. And yeah, it'd be a bit of fun. And we'd be teaching us two chefs. We'd be teaching people how to cook. And this is a squash and this is how you cook it. And, you know, we'd show them their recipes and it was all not well and good. But we found, you know, the next day we'd be walking past the chip shop and you'd walk past and you'd say hello and they'd look all guilty eating their burger and chips. So we found out it wasn't really having an, an impact. So um, I remember it was... I think it was you were at the veg shop one day, weren't you? And you? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was a good 10 years ago. I remember uh, someone had come in and they said, geez, I lost, I lost five stone on Weight Watchers. And I was like, wow, geez, that's great. And, and I kind of said to Steve, geez, people love quantifying the improvements in their health. So, uh, so me and Steve started chatting and he said, what's that book you're reading? You know, that one by that doctor. And I was reading this book by Dr. Dean Ornish and he showed in clinical trials that you could reverse a lot of the indicators for heart disease by simply changing your diet. And Steve says, wow, okay, heart disease kills most men to people. Seems like cholesterol you can measure it by and blood pressure and weight. Let's see if we can find a nurse. So we walked in that very moment. We walked down to the local doctor's, knocked on his door. How are you, Brian? Where are the lads in the happy pair? Do you know any nurses? And he says, Jesus, yeah, lads, Angela's next door. You're lucky. So we knock on Angela's door. Angela, how's it going? We want to start a program to reverse heart disease. Uh, are you in? And she said, what are you talking about, lads? And we said, uh, we want to reverse heart disease. We'll pay you 50 quid. And she said, right, I'll okay, do it. Okay, 50 quid. Go away, lads, go away, lads. And, and anyway, okay, so so we had a nurse on board and we we did a posters. This is back, you know, 10 years ago. So there wasn't really social media. So we put a poster saying, you know, reduce, get healthy, skinny, delicious, lower your blood pressure, lower your cholesterol, whatever. And we had 20 people sign up. And they came along the first night and Angela measured everyone's cholesterol, weight and blood pressure. And they came upstairs to us. And as chefs, we passed around a lot of food for them to taste. We gave them recipes. We gave them meal plans. We put on videos of men and women in white coats with stethoscopes to validate it. And they came once a week and it was kind of like, but in essence, it was like a practical course teaching people how to cook. And it was like vegetable AA, like it was like Vegetables Anonymous. Let's sit and talk about the power of the vegetables and why we like vegetables. And it was it was a four week experiment to see how it affected heart disease. And at the end of the four weeks across the 20 people, you know, we didn't really know it was going to work. There was an average drop of cholesterol of 20 percent. Everyone's blood pressure regulated. You know, everyone lost weight and it was hugely positive. And on the back of, you know, which was. You know. Yeah, on the back of that, then there was we had a number of um, newspapers wrote kind of national, I guess, articles, and then the courses started getting too busy, 
And then in recent years, we've partnered with kind of cardiologists, consultant gastroenterologists, bariatric GPs, other, other medical professionals to kind of build out other online courses, such as our Healthy Gut course, our Happy Skin one, our Happy Shape one, our Happy Heart one. And to date, we've had 50,000 people in 120 different countries throughout the world do the courses. And, you know, it's, it's such a reminder of the simple thing of the food we eat and how it massively can create a healthy body, which is a lot easier and easier to be happier and healthy within. Absolutely. And I think you raised a really interesting point there because something that I observe quite um, often is that there can be a little bit of a divide between the clinical and the lifestyle aspect. So, you know, we can go in and uh, see our doctors or our healthcare professionals, nutritionists, dietitians, read all of these books and kind of be told, oh, we have uh, skin issues or heart issues or diabetes. You need to reduce your sugar. You need to eat better. Uh, you need to eat more vegetables. You need to do this and that. But there isn't often that um, kind of practical bringing it into the kitchen, um, day-to-day community-led uh, support. Whereas on the other aspect, um, how you highlighted there with um, you know other kind of weight loss or kind of health programs and things, people do like a little bit of the metrics to kind of push them towards their goal. They want to see those kind of check boxes to see that actually eating vegetables is making a difference. So I think that's so interesting about this you know movement that you've created almost that yes, you provide a, an amazing resource for plant-based cooking and how to have fun with vegetables and how to have delicious meals, but also you're kind of creating that space where you can really educate on a practical kind of everyday kitchen-based level that this is how you're going to move those health met- metrics, those biomarkers like blood pressure and cholesterol towards that healthier spot. Um, so I love that. That's that's fascinating. Um, so I guess kind of staying on the, the topic of community then, when it comes to making, I mean, I think we've touched on this a little bit already, but when it does come to making those dietary changes and those lifestyle changes, why do you think community is so important? What's the difference between trying to, you know, read read your book, decide I want to go plant-based, I have high cholesterol or whatever, I'm going to, you know, cook these foods and live a great lifestyle versus having a space where you can kind of share um, those those experiences and learn from other people. Why is community important in that sense? I think we're like as social creatures where where we are extremely social creatures as humans and Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, as Stephen mentioned, the current food environment is set up. It's a very obesogenic environment, you know, whereas you go to a supermarket now and 95% of the food there is not set up with your best health in mind. It's really there to sell food. And it's like we are hardwired as mammals to crave fat and sugar and salt because, you know, that's how we've evolved over millions of years. And fat has twice the calories when you compare it to protein and carbohydrates. So our mammal and brains... Sugar, and sugar is hyper-addictive because... And, and that makes us buy more and more of it. So food... Manif- like, our food system is set up more about our addictions than our health in mind. So I think, like... And food is so habitual and most of us have same habits. You know, Monday night is spaghetti bolognese and Wednesday night is chicken curry and Friday night we have pizza and Saturday night we have something else. And we have the same kind of dishes we rotate. So I think to have the support of other people and have a structure where you've actually got to kind of be proactive and takes you out of your norm and puts you amongst a bunch of other people that are on the same journey and have the same problems and the same pains. And, oh my God, little Johnny, my kid loves this stuff or my, you know, oh my God, I've got a headache. What do I do? You know, I think the support aspect is so, so important. Because like there's, there's so much research saying that we become a product of our environment. And it's like, not saying if you have, like typically if you've overweight friends, there's over 50% chance that you're likely to become overweight too. And similarly, if your friends have kind of less healthier lifestyle factors, you're more likely to have less healthy lifestyle factors. So for anyone looking to be, to, you know, start eating a bit healthier, maybe start exercising more. It's not about kind of getting rid of all your friends. It's maybe just trying to get a few healthy ones too, because they're just going to encourage you more to kind of actually start questioning, reflecting, or considering your food choices. Yeah, they're going to help move the dial. And I think there is no perfect in terms of food, like the genuine years. It's not about vegan or vegetarian or anything. I think the labels are completely, they don't help in any sense. It really is about eating more like whole foods, more fruit, veg, beans, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds. Because as Stephen said earlier, 50% of the calories that are eaten in the UK, Ireland and across all the first world, the developed world are ultra processed. So it's, it really is about trying to unprocess our diet and trying to eat more fruit and veg and whole grains. And most people don't. So nine out of 10 people listening don't get their recommended daily intake of fiber. And fiber is something that, you know, traditionally when I say fiber, most people think, oh, that just helps me go to the toilet. Yeah, yeah, fiber. And we think of it, you know, as kind of, you know, plant cellulose or something devoid of flavor. But Fiber is, you know, this is a prebiotic. So most people are familiar with the term probiotic as in yogurts or, or cultures or antibiotic as in antibacteria versus a prebiotic is the food that the bacteria in your microbiome or your small intestine need to consume to create more and more of the beneficial strains of bacteria, archaea and um, fungi, fungi or microorganisms. And 70% of our immune system exists in our microbiome. And um, so for anyone who does want to have a stronger immune system, who does want to have better digestion, who does want to have better skin, who does want to have lower cholesterol, the simple thing of just eating more fruit and veg is so simple, so basic. And we've seen it in over 50,000 cases that it really can transform people's health. It can be the catalyst to kind of get you to feel better and maybe prioritize your sleep more and then start moving more and then finding you love yourself more and then your relationships improve. And like, it really is as simple as 
like getting the ball rolling and it can suddenly snowball and within a you know a short period of time you can be a very different person I love that and it it's something that I often ramble on quite a bit in when you're talking about the wellness space um because again we we talk a lot about diet and exercise and and things like that which are so important but with you mentioning those other aspects you know like uh community mindset sleep stress levels, all of these kind of things are so important when it comes to how we're feeling on a day in, day out basis. And it's just about finding that place that you can kind of wedge yourself in. Um, and for you and and for some people, you know, that could be diet, that could be adding a few more fruits and vegetables and things to your diet. And also it's really interesting and it's a point that I'd really like to hone in for um, anybody listening, anybody who has been following the podcast is probably sick of me saying this, but again, just kind of breaking down the idea that there is a perfect diet or we need to fit perfectly into a certain way of eating in order to be healthy. Because what I hear you saying is, you know, plants are just so important. Plants are nutritious. And yes, we cook lots of amazing plant-based dishes, but, you know, even if you're not quite ready to go fully plant-based, you can still add more of those fiber-rich fruits and vegetables into your diet and see a difference. Yeah, yeah, there's no there's no point in you sitting there eating a bowl of kale going, I hate kale, you know, on your own, looking at your phone. Like, I think, you know, if you want pizza, have pizza, enjoy it. Laughter, joy, friendship, gratitude are superfoods that are often forgotten. And I think, you know, we get caught up with perfection. And what we often say on our courses is kind of it's all about progress rather than perfection. I think the perfection is knowing that we're all imperfect and that we're all doing our best. And that's great. And there's and there's many aspects to be a healthy, happy person. You know, all of us, most most of us really know someone that's lived to the ripe old age of 90 or thereabouts. They didn't eat a vegetable in their life. They smoked cigarettes. They drank a bottle of whiskey every day. They gambled, but they they laughed so much. They'd no stress in their life. They had a lovely surrounding supportive community and they probably had a purpose. So I think there's so many different roads to health and ultimately it's those things that make us feel more ourselves and make our body function better. So, and saying all that, like it really is fruit and veg. And when we say fruit and veg, we do mean whole grains and beans as well, because yeah. beans are the most fiber rich, um, one of the most fiber rich foods you can consume. They're actually the most fiber rich in terms of the plant-based diet. Okay, thank you. David. Unless you want to go around eating like, you know, psyllium husks or something. Like, you know, <laughs> husker, yeah. I'm not sure you'd get too many people on board if there was just a lot of psyllium, psyllium husk in the in the diet, um, as fiber rich as it is. Um, but yeah, and I guess kind of just reflecting what you're saying, you know, so much of the issue in this day and age, yes, you can tweak things and, you know, you can build your body like a machine through diet if you want. But so much of the fundamental issues that we're seeing with with diet is just that people aren't eating real food. You know, it's just all of that ultra, ultra processed food and our bodies are adapting to that. Um, And so just actually getting more real foods, fruits, vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, all of that good stuff can make such a massive impact um, on how you're feeling. Yeah, I think a huge part of it is a disconnect from our food system and where our food comes from. Nowadays, you know, we go in and we buy our food in the supermarket and we take it home and we cook it and we forget that it grew in the ground and someone had to plant the seeds and cultivate it. And then someone had to do another person distribute it to get it there. And then it was cool. And if you're eating animal food, someone had to, you know, help nurture this animal. Someone had to kill it. Someone had to go through the process of cultivating. And it's this disconnect from our food system often, you know, can 
encourage a little bit more arrogance in us that we tend to waste. Typically, a third of all food produced, cooked is wasted. And typically, you know, often a lot of the advocates for modern industrial food production kind of say, oh, we need it to feed. Otherwise, there's going to be world hunger. But currently, if we avoid, if we manage to mitigate the degree of food waste, we'd have enough food to feed 10 billion people. So a huge part of not only why we eat so, you know, we eat so much processed foods is that we're disconnected from them. Like if you had to make everything you ate, you'd suddenly realize, wow, a lot of butter went into that croissant. I didn't realize that croissant is mostly butter. You know that way? But if you did make it, you'd realize, wow. That's probably not the healthiest thing for me to eat, you know, and understanding ingredients. I think that's something. And similarly, if we're, if we live in a more, you know, local or more closer food system, the more we know, ah, that was Paddy who grew my potatoes. Good man, Paddy. He told me they're Kerpinks. They're going to be really fluffy. I can't wait to try them. Or even uh, like in terms of connection to food system, like, like when you grow your own stuff, you realize how much time and energy it takes to grow something that when it does exist, there's no way you're going to waste it. Like you're really, you know, I've got tomatoes I'd be out in the back garden in, in, under glass and I've been watering them every feckin' day that when I get a red tomato, like, it's just going to be a celebration. Like, it really is. And there's, there's zero chance I will waste one of them because it's taken so much time and energy. So, so I think the nurture. more, like, to summarize my point, I think the closer we are and the more connected we are to the source of our food, the more we appreciate it that grew in nature, that brings us closer <laughs> to the land. We feel much more connected, not only, like, physically through our food, but also we feel connected to nature and we feel more, there's a a greater sense of a whole and appreciation to it. I, not to go off on a complete tangent, but I wonder if in your experience, what are are ways that we can bring that connection back um, to ourselves in the modern world? Because I mean, I know not everybody can, you know, grow all their own fruits and vegetables and things like that, or maybe they can. What what are simple ways that we could try and connect more with our, our food? I think probably it starts back to like, as Stephen said, there's like understanding how your food is made and the ingredients. Like, I think that's probably a, a great starting point because there'd be lots of things that, as you said, like you buy mindlessly and you've never, re- you kind of know it's probably not the healthiest thing. But when you start looking at it and kind of going down that road a little bit, I think that's probably a great place. As to in start. looking at the ingredients. The ingredients, yeah. I think the ingredients are quite revealing. Like they obviously go in descending order of, the first, the, what's most at the top and what's least at the end of the ingredient list. Um, and then I would also say the next thing is kind of understanding where your food is from. Like the more you can try to support a local farm, as in you can get a weekly farm box. There's lots of these CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture, which is starting, I don't know how many of them are in the UK. In Ireland, there's a few more of them starting, not as many. It originated in the UK where people become a member of a farm for the year and they get a box every week from the farm and they're typically invited up to the farm once a month or something or every week they go up and collect their box but there's often open days and there's a connection to the land which is a great thing to do with families and even if you're based in the middle of London there is farms that are delivering into the city to certain or, or, points or even there's farmers markets and you know typically if you go to a farmers market it's often said that a farmers market you have 10 times more conversations and there's a greater sense of you might be talking to the farmer and they might be saying oh it was a bad season or it was this and you just there's, there's, there's a, there's, the thing about farmer's market is often there's very rarely farmers at it. So it's trying to find a farmer's market that actually has growers on it because typically it's a lot of people, importers. It's a lot of importers or middlemen, which is that's pretty much a supermarket. So it's it's genuinely trying to get connected to someone that's growing the stuff because there's the real story. They've got the dirt under the fingernails. 
they'll honestly be able to. Uh, and I think as humans, we, we're great storytellers. And I think we love a good story. And I think the more we can find stories that connects us to nature, connects us to the environment, we feel a greater sense of a wholesomeness. Like even, I'm really into making bean to bar chocolate. I've been making it for a few years and I love it. And I love the sense of, you know, understanding I'm getting this one from, you know, England and they've actually, they've used sourdough mother to culture the fermentation, the cacao beans. And the sense of story makes me, instead of sitting down and just scoffing a bar of chocolate, I take like a square and I really savor it. And in a weird way, like, you're kind of not, like just taking a moment. It's like mindful consumption of chocolate. And the more we can bring that sense, or at least in my own experience, that sense of appreciation and that sense of presence to what we're eating, the more we feel happier and more connected. And I'd say one more thing on that is, uh, I guess this whole, our own personal journey in this has led us to where we've had a farm, like a microgreens farm for the last 10 years, but only in the last year we've hopefully in September, we'll take over a six acre farm. We're buying six acres and we're going to start our own local community farm, which is very much connecting us more to the land where we'll grow all our own produce, which we'll... And the the goal is to kind of educate local schools and to try to connect the community back to the land again, because so much of modern day society, we're living in the information age, we're walking around, our bodies are largely to attract a mate and to carry around our brain, but we forget that we're mammals and that this connection to nature is, it's intrinsic, it's part of us. And it much makes of, us feel good. Yeah, it makes us feel good. There you are, I'll stop waffling. I'm getting excited. I, mean, I love it. I could listen to you all day, honestly. So I'm just going to do a little bit of the, the clinical thing because in my, from my clinical background, in my mind, I'm hearing all of my old clients thinking, well, I mean, listen, I don't even like eating a vegetable. So how can you expect me to go and visit a farm? So I just wanted to kind of break down a little bit of the the layer of that there, because I so hear what you're saying. And I think it's such an important thing that we need to be moving back towards. We need, we're so disconnected to our food system and the nutrients and the fibers and all of that kind of thing that we need to feel healthy. And I just wanted to kind of circle it back around to to the beginning when you brought up the processed foods and talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, a lot of the ingredients, uh, inverted commas, that we're seeing in these ultra processed foods. So kind of all of those things on the ingredients list that you can't understand that, you know, chemical this, mono this, you know, uh, E this, whatever they can confuse the signaling of our bodies a little bit. And just for people understanding that when you've been, you know, consuming ultra processed foods for years and years and years and years, it can kind of adjust the signaling of your body. So, you know, you can have hyper cravings for that fat and that sugar. And, you know, the idea of eating fresh vegetables and things like that can seem so far removed. But as you slowly kind of start picking away at that, so, you know, moving away from some of the ultra processed foods, cooking a little bit more, eating those um, fresh fruits and vegetables, your taste buds adapt, your energy systems adapt, your body adapts, and you do start to feel more connected. And then you can kind of like dip into the deeper rooted um, connections of, you know, where your food is coming from and all of that. I don't know is is that fair to say but I'm just kind of thinking in my head I have like the clinical aspect on one side and then kind of you know the farmers and the lifestyle on the other side and I think sometimes it feels like such a such a divide but actually it's so much more closely linked than we think we just don't talk about it that much 
Yeah, often like say we run our, our healthy gut course with Dr. Alan Desmond. He's a consultant gastroenterologist. And often people will ask, Al, oh, what are five tips to improve my digestion? And, you know, basic things like, you know, eating more fiber, spending more time outside, exercising. And then normally the fourth one, Al, will often say is to avoid processed foods because there's many of these emulsifiers, emulsifiers, stabilizers, kind of preservatives can have a really negative effect on our uh, impact on our microbiome. And as we mentioned, you know, 70% of your immune system exists in your microbiome and a huge amount of your body serotonin uh, is produced there, which can have, have, a, have an effect on our mental health and how we feel in ourselves. And also, I was just going to say that every 10 days, you actually, your body creates new taste buds in your mouth. So in terms of your taste bud thing, absolutely. You know, your taste buds change all the time. And I guess through all the people in our courses, people will say that, you know, oh, I couldn't wait for, you know, a big steak at the end of the course. And then by the time they get there, they either don't feel like it or else they have it. And they go, geez, it wasn't what I had hoped it to be, you know, because their taste buds change. And it does change because your taste buds are dictated, like are hugely impacted by the your microbiome, which is that collection of bacteria and microorganisms in your gut. So. Yeah, even we'd see countless times people start in our course, they'd be like, oh, how am I going to do this? I don't want to do this. What am I going to eat? And after a week or two, they find out, actually, the food's all right. And then by the fourth week, they're coming up and it could be February and they're going, what do I do for Christmas dinner? You know, like you hear, you see so many times where people kind of yeah. come going, geez, that, I was surprised at how delicious the food was. And often, you know, the nature of creativity is often, it works best when there's boundaries, there's constraint. And I think the very nature of, eating more plant-based is suddenly you have this constraint and suddenly you start actually looking into this Pandora's box and going, oh my God, there's all these foods that I never even knew existed. I thought they were all second rate, you know. Yeah, and suddenly you realize there's these flavors and you start seasoning instead of just with fat, but with spices and herbs and just more freshness or vibrant foods. And you're suddenly like, wow, my palate is awake and I'm inspired in the kitchen again. And I actually feel better too. Yeah, absolutely. You start kind of actually craving hummus and it's not a joke. I used to always think um, when I was younger, people who like ate a lot of healthy foods or, um, you know, that kind of thing. I was like, they're just lying to themselves. Like they they have to just be pretending that this tastes good. Like I, I don't understand. There's no way. But actually what you're saying, you know, our taste buds do renew, our bodies do adapt. Um, and actually it's not just a case that, oh, now you, you tolerate the foods. It's like, no, no, no. Now your body is driven towards those foods. It craves them. That's what's delicious to you. Um, so again, I just really like kind of honing in that message because I think it can be really overwhelming when you're at the beginning um, and you kind of feel like you're a little bit outside it. You're like, I know this would be something good for me to try. I've read a lot about it. I'm very excited, but it just seems very scary and overwhelming. And I like steak and I don't know what to do. So um, I think that's a really, really good point to hone in for people. Um, and I guess, so I'm going to have to start um, moving to some of our closing questions. But just before I move off completely the point of um, community, I mean, you've thrown out some really good examples there in terms of like how to connect in. So, you know, farmers markets and veg boxes and kind of like seeking out spaces in your local community. Um but I wondered, you know, again, I'm just really thinking for for some people who might be trying to start a healthier journey, they're looking at the environment around them and it's really not conducive to the changes that they want to see for themselves. You know, 
what are some other places that we can find inspiration and community and support to kind of push forward in in the kind of health goals that we have when maybe we're we're not quite ready to step into the farmers markets or um, things like that? Is there any advice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think health is multifaceted and I think food is just one of the many pillars or one of the many prongs to to being healthy. And I think community is, it's intrinsic, it's fundamental, it's at the very essence of what it is to be a human. And it's something that often we can forget, like even in the UK, they appointed at a ministerial level a minister for loneliness because it's become such an epidemic that approximately 15% of the population struggle with loneliness. And loneliness isn't the absence of another person. Like you can be in a, in a, in a room with a thousand people and still feel lonely. It's the absence of belonging. The and absence of being seen. Or being seen or, or, or a sense of belonging. And I think community, it's or, or that sense of, you know, if you struggle with loneliness, it's often equated to being... Uh, the similar impact of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So it's something that, and typically, I, I know when we were growing up we, and we went to school in our fourth year project, we used to have to go visit the nursing homes because they were lonely. Whereas they say now the loneliest demographic of society is the 18 to 25 year old um, range, typically. So in terms of community, it's something it's something that's so vital to our health in so many different ways. And some basic things I'd say, one, if you don't like people, get a dog. Get a pet, get an animal. Get they're a cat. Such, they're so beautiful. Even get a plant. Just something. No, plants won't do Okay, well, I, I think a, a dog. dog like, like, I, I find my, we bought my daughter a dog for her ninth birthday. And even going out walking with the dog, typically Daisy, that's my, my daughter's dog, she'll stop and she'll sniff another dog. And then the other person stops and you go, what's your dog's name or what breed of dog it is? And you have a conversation. You do that at the same time and you meet that person every day for a week and finally you get their name and before you know it, you've made a new friend. And I think, you know, I think dogs or a pet is a nice starting point. I think another thing is, you know, we saying hello to people, I think is such a basic thing that like literally saying hello to people because every relationship they say it takes about 25 to 30 hours to get a really strong connection and every relationship starts somewhere. So it's a matter of like, your neighbours, the people you see every day in your walk, start saying hello to them. Or even just seeing them because, you know, again, research from the Blue Zones, where they, they, the Blue Zones, for anyone listening who doesn't know what they are, they're the five areas in the planet where it's the longest living people. They have the most, the, the highest concentration of centenarians. That's people who've lived over the age 100. And one of the most important factors was community. And another, and, and the community was broken into two main aspects. One was your close relationships. And the other one was social integration. Did you say hello to the person that made your coffee? Did you say hello to the postman or postwoman? Did you say hello to the lady that walked past driver. your door, the bus driver? It's those little things are so important to our longevity and our health. And they're so undervalued and understated. So as Dave said, I think the simple thing of just saying hello, having small talk. My wife is Polish and she often, when she first came over to Ireland, she couldn't get over why we love talking about the weather. But in essence, talking about the weather, it's a safe conversation. It's something we all share about. And it's a nice way of kind of feeling about whether you trust someone and you want to go on a slightly deeper, more revealing conversation. So I think it's, you know, it's part of a kind of a, a, dance, a dance, a social a dance. dance to kind of earn trust really and go, okay, do I want to open, you know, it's that. Yeah, other basic things. We swim in the sea every day at sunrise and have done so for about six or seven years. And I think the more you can do some sort of an activity, often as we get older, we like a reason to socialize. Like I know when I bring my children down to the playground, they just walk up to someone and go, hi, can I be your friend? And they've made a friend. Whereas as we get older, it's like, 
you know, we've different strategies to feel loved and accepted. Like we've nice hair, or I'm wearing a nice dress, or I'm very intelligent, or I drive a nice car, or I'm a good chef, or I wrote a book, or we've different strategies to be loved and accepted. But I think we often forget that this is a fundamental physiological basic need that we all have. And the more we can kind of, you know, accept our own insecurities and acknowledge that everyone has them, and the more we can be a little bit more vulnerable, the easier it is to, to have that foundation with to, to connect with another. Okay, so finally, um, this is a wildcard question that I ask all of the guests um, because I think sometimes, again, when we're in this health space and health conversation, we have this idea that, you know, you have to be sitting on a mountaintop eating avocado smoothies all day and every day. Um, So I really like to ask our guests um, when it comes to, you know, bakes and sweet treats and cakes and things, what's your favorite? Yeah, I love bean to bar chocolate. But oh, I, love, yeah. I, I love flapjacks. I love caramel things. Just I this love morning, having... it was our, Sarah's birthday and we had, I made a chocolate fudge cake last night and we'd cake at 5.30 a.m. at the beach at sunrise. And it was such crack, we say in Ireland, which means fun. So that was a double chocolate fudge cake and that was indulgent. There was a rhubarb and apple crumble. There was loads of different bits and bobs. So no, we we loads of veg and loads of fruit and veg and whole grains and beans and nuts. And I also love cake too, you know, not heaps of it and not every maybe not every day but maybe bits regularly like you know i think there's a place for celebration a place for connecting and all these type of things so we're not completely pious i love it and i mean what i'm hearing from crumble i'm just thinking oats and fruit and seeds you know all those things that you were talking about eating right <laughs> amazing well thank you so so much guys for taking the time um to come and chat to us today that was an absolutely fascinating conversation it's really just again kind of honed in the aspect of of health um where community has such a purpose and a place so not to um get too ultra ultra focused on the nitty gritty details of you know what's in every single meal but also to kind of look outside and and reach out to people don't be afraid to say hello and you know hi to your neighbors and all of that kind of thing um for anyone who wants to find more information about uh, Steve and Dave and the happy pair of course you can find links over on our podcast page as well as links to their new book um, bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Health Podcast. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.